Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome back to Not Your Average Joe, the podcast that'll make anyone a little less average. I'm your host, Joe Franco, and I'm currently bringing this episode to you from Thessaloniki, Greece, which Greeks like to call a big village. After Athens, it's the second largest city, and here's a little travel tip. If you're getting kind of sick of big cities, always look for the second largest one. That's exactly what I'm doing. That's like my new travel trend. I'm a second city kind of a chick. I've been traveling for about two and a half months and it's a wild time. Last week, we didn't have an episode. I am so sorry, but it's because I hosted my first ever Joe Club retreat, my first ever journaling retreat, and it was a huge, huge success. If you'd like to join Joe Club, those are the first people that will get access to retreats. I'm linking everything in the show notes. The community is so wholesome. We're growing. It's this international family of thinkers, of introspective people all around the globe. And every time I meet somebody new from a different walk of life with a different background, man, woman, no matter what age they are, I'm just in awe that we've built something so beautiful on the internet. And it was really cool to be able to see eight Joe Clubbers in person and spend a week with them in Zagreb, Croatia. So that's just a little tidbit. And also before we get started, don't forget to rate this podcast five stars if you've been enjoying it, if it's become a part of your routine, if you've learned some nuggets of not your average Joe wisdom, I would love to see that and uh, follow us on Instagram, not your average Joe pod. Now that that's all out of the way, let's get into today's episode. We're going to be talking about mentorship. One of my favorite topics that's pretty gray, elusive, and not exactly easy to find at times, which is why we're going to talk about it. So here's the definition of a mentor if you've never heard of it before. It's an experienced and trusted advisor. In a verb, it's when you advise or train someone, usually a younger colleague, but it's experience-based. So if somebody has a lot of experience in a particular area, they could fill you in on how to overcome the hurdles, which would save you a lot of time in the end. Sure, legitimate mentorship programs exist. Sometimes you pay for them, sometimes you have to hire an executive coach, which is what my guest today does for a living. Other times they're a little bit more informal. My mentors have come from all walks of life. Some of them were college professors, some of them were people I've cold emailed on LinkedIn, and others are just people in my circle that know a lot. And after years of asking them questions, filling them in on my path, I realized, oh my God, I think these people have been my mentors. Same thing goes for my mentees. I've had mentees from all different parts of my life, all different parts of my career. Some people want advice on being a social media creator. Others want business advice or journaling advice. And I get just as much from being a mentor as having one. And today's guest is going to be your virtual mentor for the next hour. He had a 20 year career working for a company and then he jumped ship and started his own co-authoring these books about executive coaching. One of them called All In, The Carrot Principle is a New York Times, USA Today and Wall Street Journal best-selling leadership book. The man knows a lot about leadership, about coaching and absolutely about mentorship. You're gonna wanna take notes for this one. Kill the intro, sis. You know she's not your average show. 
Esther, thank you so much for taking time. Your schedule, I'm imagining, is super busy. Yeah, we get busy. That's true. It uh, depends on the day, but you know, we always have time for good people, Joe. So we've always got time for you. And I'm so excited because mentorship is a huge piece of my life. And I feel like it was easier during college days because you have professors you look up to or advisors, but I'm already looking at you like a future mentor. I don't know if that's cool with you, but... <laughs> I would love that, okay? Yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. You know, Adrian Gostick's my co-author. Um, we've been writing now for over 20 years on culture and leadership and all the things that build a great work culture that translate very nicely and ripple through your personal life, uh, obviously. And so we do we do a lot of uh, coaching. We do a lot of mentoring. I, I would be honored to be your mentor. <laughs> Yay, I'm so excited. So. I want to dive right into your background. How did you even become an executive coach? Explain a little bit about what you do in a day-to-day -day kind of format. I, I think, you know, you have inflection points in your life that have a dramatic effect. The thing is, I, I don't know that you always know when that's going to happen, right? So a little bit about me. I grew up uh, in a ridiculously happy household, right? I was born in Edmonton, Alberta. If you know Canada, Edmonton is really far north. I mean, we, we would joke that in Edmonton, we had nine months of winter and three months of poor sledding. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's cold. The, the fact that I mentioned that is that my, my dad, I have four older brothers, my mother, just a ridiculously happy household. I mean, we had all the issues that families do and the heartaches and the ups and downs. And yet I, I never felt like I wasn't supported or loved. You know, you talk about great mentors. My, my dad was a ridiculous mentor for me. My, my, my best coach, my biggest cheerleader, my four older brothers, who I love dearly. Uh, just talking to my eldest brother last night, um, the way they share their wisdom and their, their experiences and, and, and coach you up. Well, we moved to Vancouver uh, when I was um, in grade four, so I was 10 years old. So I really grew up on the West Coast in Vancouver, a, a ridiculously beautiful city. <laughs> you know, like if you if you could choose a place to grow up, Vancouver should be in your top two, <laughs> you know. And, and, and again, an opportunity to just really enjoy nature and, you know, uh, the Canadian culture is one that's very welcoming and very warm. You know, when my brothers and I get together and we talk about our dad and we miss him terribly, He's, he, he died several years ago, but we had a conversation one time about what was the greatest lesson that our dad taught us. And my brother Kim said, you know, there's no question in my mind, the greatest lesson we learned from our dad was how to love our wives, how to just love your wife. I can remember being with my dad and my mom walked in the room. And I think we were at church or some event or whatever. My mom always dressed to the nines. She was quite the fashionista. And he nudged me and he said, look at your mom. Isn't she beautiful? Isn't she talented? Aren't we lucky? You know? Beautiful. No, more, more men need to do that. And more women need to do that too, right? It's just a moment of gratitude, which is a nugget that we will get down. So it seems like a lot of who you are and what you do for a living is completely rooted in this loving home, which again has its problems because every family does, but everywhere you looked, there was love, support, and gratitude. And that's just a part of your DNA. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I love your take on, on mentorship because I, I just look and think I've just been blessed with ridiculously good mentors and people that I 
and related to, right? I mean, I know him, I love him, we, we share the same DNA. Um, another inflection point was when I grew up in a media family, my dad was in radio and my brothers were in advertising. And so I, I followed suit. I mean, it was always fun and engaging. And you got to go to all the sporting events for free. I mean, it was, it was a great gig, right? And, uh, and so I was in, in broadcasting, I sold media time in Detroit and in New York. The next inflection point for me was when I went to go work for OC Tanner. It's a recognition company. And while I enjoyed selling media and living in the world's greatest city, you know, New York and, and all that comes with that, I wasn't sure that I was really making the world a better place. You know what I mean? And OC Tanner is a recognition company. And, and you go into companies and you say, value people for their years of service, for their accomplishments, for their patents, for their, you know, for their goodness. And it, we were also a very competitive family, played lots of sports. And I, I love that idea of you work hard for it, you achieve it, it, it's noted, it's recognized, it's celebrated. And so I worked there for 19 years, I loved that job. And part of that job was, I called our CEO one time, I'd been working on a project and I said, hey, um, you know, if we were the thought leaders in our industry, my job would be so much easier because instead of cold calling, people would say, oh, we need help with recognition, let's call OC Tanner, right? And that would be me. It would make my job a lot easier. Always looking for advantage, Chester, right? And Kent um, Murdoch, it was the CEO at the time, and he said, oh, I love that idea. Because I said, look, thought leaders publish. We, we could write the definitive book on employee recognition. It would be fabulous. He goes, oh, I like that. Well, go ahead, write the book. And I went, yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm not a writer. And you give me crushing sales quotas every year. When am I going to have time to write a book, right? And then again, this inflection point, right? He says, um, you're a smart guy, figure it out. This episode is gonna be a good one. Not your average Joe, tip number one. Sometimes it takes realizing that you're not making the world a better place to switch gears, switch careers, and come up with a crazy idea to put you on the right track. That's exactly what Chester just explained he did. The takeaway here is don't believe the hype. Or let me put it like this. You might be in a major city right now doing a job that society thinks is successful from the outside. You're doing an amazing job, earning a decent salary, but inside you feel rotten because your values are getting swept under the rug. Chester's just another example of how when you honor your truth and your values, your moral compass will point you towards a positive way to give back. It's almost like you have to be brave enough to walk away from what's no longer serving you, even if it looks perfect from the outside looking in. Because if it's not on the inside looking out, what the hell are we doing? So no plan B. No, it's good. you're a smart guy. Figure it out. I mean, you're passionate about it. I think it's a good idea. I'll support you in it. I'm the CEO. Just go ahead and do it. So, ah. Okay. <laughs> so, so I started to plot the points of a book from scratch on a concept that you knew was positive and would increase morale, but it's like, how are we going to like craft this theory, explain it to the world and then have it, have it be read. Right. And have something, something that somebody would actually give you money for. Right. Well, it gets, it gets better because so I'm playing with titles and ideas and chapters and about a year later, he calls me back and he says, Chester, I've been thinking about that book idea. I just hired a writer. He's our VP of communications. His name's Adrian Gostick. Introduce yourself, write the book. So not only did he challenge me, he gave me a way forward, 
Well, it turns out Adrian grew up in Canada, so we got that hockey thing in common. We really hit it off. And we've been dear friends now for over 20 years. We've written 14 books together. We've sold 1.6 million copies. We've presented in over 40 countries. Our books are in 30 languages. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? You know? And those inflection points, right? Also mind-blowing. Okay, here I am trying to craft one book, 14 books. That's a lifetime. That's 14 lifetimes, right? Like usually people are lucky if they publish one book in their lifetime. So congratulations. And I love that you found your partner in crime in Adrian. Absolutely. I want to know a little bit about that partnership. But before that, I want to make a note that it's so crazy that you had to walk into the office of the CEO of the company and say, hey, I have this idea. So it's like you activated this massive chain of events that led you to having 14 books published in 30 languages and over 1 million copies sold. So it's like, it starts with this, hey, what about this crazy idea that you don't even know how you're gonna execute and somehow when you stand up and you're brave enough to say that you have an idea, everything will kind of conspire to make it live if you keep moving forward. Like, do you see that? Is that insane? Yeah, well, it is. And, you know, and I always hesitate telling this story because people think, oh, he's the luckiest guy in the world, right? And A, the answer is, yes, I am. <laughs> I've always felt like I was born under a lucky star. The fact is though, is that along with that was a ridiculous amount of hard work. You know, writing a book is really hard. I mean, we, we've gotten it down to, we've, we've got our methodology and how we interview and how we, and we've, we've surrounded ourselves with really good editors and publishers and, and people that give us tremendous advice. So I, I never want this, this story to come across as, wow, uh, well, that'll never be me because it, it can absolutely be anybody. If you've got a great idea and you've got the passion behind it and you surround yourself with those people that will amplify, encourage and magnify who you are. And for me, that was, that was Kent Murdoch. It's, it's Adrian Gostick. Every time I stop and make these Not Your Average Joe takeaways, it's almost like I'm highlighting a book of these nuggets of wisdom. Not Your Average Joe takeaway number two, action creates actions. But without your first action, it's hard to expect that anything's going to happen at all. So when in doubt, walk into the room, propose the idea and work towards the change. You'll never really know how it'll affect you. But in my experiences, it almost always creates a positive turn of events that leads you to the next step of where you're supposed to be. And then when you look back in hindsight, you're like, dang, and it all started because I went into the room and pitched that crazy idea that I didn't know how I was going to execute. You will always figure it out but you have to set the train in motion. The, the next really big inflection point for me, and there were lots of little ones as publishers and editors came into our lives, was Marshall Goldsmith. I mean, no question about it. Um, Marshall invited me to be a part of his 100 coaches group and absolutely life-changing. Um, all of a sudden, again, I was surrounded by ridiculously good people. Like, so, Marshall, we, we were presenting at a conference in Milan, Italy. I'll tell you a good story about that. So, you know, and I served in Italy for my mission. So I get to go, I can eat gelato and this great pizza and lasagna. And, you know, it's just great, right? And my wife came with me. Now, you got to understand that when I present in Toledo, Ohio, she doesn't come. But Milan, Italy, now we're talking, <laughs> you know. So they had this speaker's dinner the night before and Marshall was there and I, I'd known Marshall, we'd bump into each other at various conferences, have mutual friends. 
And he called me one time. He says, I'm doing this leadership group thing. I think it would be good for you to be a part of it. Are you available on this certain date? I said, no, I'm not. I've got a speaking engagement. He goes, oh, no worries. Click. Which is like more, I was kind of like, well, did you want to tell me anything more? You know, Marty, no, he's like busy. crickets and nothing yeah, else. You can't make it. Okay. Bye. Well, so we're, we're at this dinner and I said, hey, Marshall, you have this leadership thing. Are you still doing it? He goes, oh, I'm so glad you brought it up. We've got a meeting at the World Bank hosted by Jim Kim, who's the president of the World Bank. You know, that's going to end poverty all over wow. the world. Uh, you should come. And I said, well, so what is it? He says, it take too long to explain. Just, just come, be my guest, just show up. And I went, okay, now you can understand. I knew Marshall, not particularly well. And he invites me to this thing. And for some reason I go, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And I'm sitting in this room. It's like the number one investor for startups in Asia. It's the owner of the, of the Utah Jazz NBA team. It's the president. And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't know how I got in this room, but I'm not leaving. <laughs> I love that. So was there a little bit of imposter syndrome at this stage? Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding? I'm looking around the room. And Marshall said, again, Marshall is so generous and so great. I said to him as we were going through security, because he sent out everybody's resumes. And I said, boy, I read those. I said, this is a pretty auspicious group. He goes, I know what you're thinking. I said, really? What am I thinking, Marshall? He goes, you're thinking you don't belong. And I said, well, it, it's not lost on me that I'm not the president of the World Bank. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I don't own an NBA franchise. And then he, he was so kind. He said, Chester, I wouldn't have invited you if you didn't belong. That gives me we're, chills. I, me too. And he said, we're lucky to have you here. And I went, oh, how great is that? What a morale boost on your part. Like, okay, gets a little comfortable. Yeah. Isn't that cool that like somebody can see something in you that you don't see in yourself? That's mentorship. Yeah. And in that moment of anxiety, right? Kind of like, oh, geez, they're going to look at me and go, hey, who invited that guy? <laughs> you know, and, and Marshall was really great. He said, see that guy over there? That's Curtis Martin. He's in the NFL Hall of Fame. And I know what you're thinking. How cool would it be to be in the NFL Hall of Fame? You know what he's thinking? How cool would it be to have five New York Times bestsellers and to sell a million copies in his book? Trust me, as in awe as you are of him, he is in awe of you. And I thought, damn straight. <laughs> damn straight. What a crazy concept. I mean, this is something that we talk about a lot, right? Imposter syndrome, the fear of not you know, achieving as much or feeling like, oh, everybody else has some, done more than me. And it's crazy to me that you can have five New York Times bestsellers and still feel that way. That's shocking. Yeah. And, and I think we, we all have those moments where we look around and go, Ooh, you know, how did I get in this room? And, and that's very insightful on your part, because, you know, we get to present in a lot of interesting places, meet a lot of really interesting people. And it's almost a given, like the more celebrity that is attached to that person, the more insecure they are. And, 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 and I, I've kind of grown to understand that in that, like if you're, if you're a movie star or you're a, a legendary athlete, there's an expectation of you from everybody that meets you that you're going to be beyond phenomenal. Well, no one can be that all the time, like nobody, right? And so that pressure of, 
you know, Oprah, we, we use this in our book, Anxiety at Work. Oprah's done like over like 45,000 interviews or something like that. And she said, you know, what's really interesting, whether I'm interviewing a, a world leader or a, a movie star or a famous athlete, she goes, I've, been, I've interviewed Beyonce in all her Beyonce-ness. He says, she said, as soon as the mic goes off, they all ask me the same question. Is it, was that good? Was it good? Right. Like, did I say something worthwhile? You know, do you think they'll like me? And he goes, you're Beyonce. What? what like, what? <laughs> but she's Oprah, right? So it's probably the comparison, too, that if you're next to somebody who's achieved greatness, you just want to be validated by them. Because if greatness recognizes greatness in you, then you must be really great. I love this one because it makes everybody feel so human. Not your average Joe. Takeaway number three, validation. Even the greats need it. So when it comes to feeling that imposter syndrome, just remember that people who have written several New York Times bestselling books, people who have been on TV for decades, people who are as famous and rich as Beyonce and Oprah, they still need validation too. So it's helpful when you walk into a room that looks scary, filled with powerful people, because all of those people that you think are so powerful are just craving the same things you are. Right, that validation. Yeah. And I'll tell you what's, what's interesting about Marshall. And he's been a tremendous mentor and teacher for me. It's funny. I was just talking to him yesterday. He's, he's, he's got a new book coming out. It's going to be phenomenal called The Earned Life. Um, buy a copy. It's, it's, uh, he gave me an digital. It's just ridiculously good. Anyway, uh, he was the one that said, Chester, you should coach. You should be a coach. You've got a lot of experience. Uh, you can really be helpful. And he has a course, the, um, uh, stakeholder centered coaching. And he says, uh, I'm going to put you through the course. You'll love it. And you should start to coach. And, and I will tell you, Joe, um, both Adrian and I are coaching now have been for the last uh, few years. And, and, and in a way we were kind of coaching for many years. We just never formalized it and charged people for it. <laughs> you know, the, when money changes hands, everything you know, gets a little different. And I tell you, it's just tremendously fulfilling to have that one-on-one -on -one with CEOs and be able to share all the research we've done over 20 years and all the different life experiences. And, and, and to your point, you know, leaders at whatever level, whether they're founders of their company or CEOs, or they're in charge of operations, or, or they're the, the high potential leaders moving up in the organization, everybody has a need to be validated and have a, a safe place where they can talk to somebody they trust. And that's why I think coaching is really exploding right now particularly for for young people you know mm -hmm. in in your category because you're saying look um i need a coach i need a mentor i mean i have got my degree in university but very few things you learn in university actually have any practical application Absolutely. i'm not saying it's not it's not time well spent it is because you explore ideas and philosophies and you know, develop relationships and you grow up but you know let's face it all of a sudden you're in a you know a, an automated driving you know, company. Well, there was, where did you learn that? You know, it's, you learn it in the company with the mentors there and having a coach, having a, a teacher, you know, if you're more comfortable with that, someone that can teach you and guide you is so important. And, and that was another inflection point and just a ridiculously satisfying um, part of my life right now. And, and total credit to Marshall Goldsmith for, to your point, said, hey, we're lucky to have you get in the room, right? Um, and mentoring me along the way that we've got this great opportunity to serve these leaders and, and make a difference. And hopefully that ripples 
through the people that they lead and, and their families and their, their children. It's, uh, it's wonderful. So what you're telling me is not only has your career been developed over time because of these mentors that are kind of incognito, it's not like they're saying, hey, Chester, can I be your mentor? But they're, they're believing in you. They're putting you in touch with other people. They're just in good faith helping you out without the formal title of your mentor. But then not only did that get you to the rooms, but it also inspired your coaching, which coaching can technically be defined as like mentorship on steroids. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's like a train of mentorship in your life. Like have, have you noticed that? I'm sure you have, but like as an outsider, that's exactly what I'm seeing. And I'm like, cool. Can I be your mentee and (laughs) and keep the train going? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting, Joe, because I think as you're living your life and you're going through, you don't see it that way. I mean, you're just living your life. You know, I mean, he's my dad. They're my brothers. That's what dads and brothers do. And then you, you, you get into work and you go, well, that's my boss. You know, Kent, Kent Murdoch. I mean, that's what CEOs are supposed to do. Well, not all CEOs do that. You know, you, that's where, you know, I think there, there isn't an element of luck. You know, that, that I got a job at, at OC Tanner at the time when Kent Murdoch was the CEO, because then Kent Murdoch retired and the new CEO didn't get us, was not a mentor and a teacher for us. Now, really good guy and has done wonderful things with the company, just not a fit for us. And so we left, which was really hard. You know, when I was at that company for 19 years. I mean, I was, I was invested. I was, you know, I bled Tanner Blue. And then to realize that you no longer had a place, that that validation left with Kent. And we had to step out into the abyss and say, okay, now, now, now what do we do? Right? The anxiety really hits. And oh, this is, gosh. so you this know. is another thing that I want to talk about. Uh, when you have a, this, this huge career, right? 19 years, your stability is there. You're happy. You're being validated. Your boss is great. Then suddenly it's like the floor gets pulled out from underneath you. How, nerve-wracking was that because for me I haven't had a traditional career in a sense like I graduated college with a bachelor's in uh, business and international management concentration in HR and I'm rolling my eyes because I never intended on like going to use that degree but then I ended up starting a YouTube channel with a college friend and 10 years later we hit a million subscribers and then I had a career, right? Then I had a career on YouTube and then I had to walk away from that, not only because it was time, but because I got an offer to host a Netflix show. And so that was scary. And then I did two seasons of a Netflix show hosting. So that seemed like a new career path. And then the show ended. And then I'm like, oh shit. Now what? Now what? And it seems like these moments of now what? It's just going to be a trend. And I remember last year when the show ended, I was crippled with anxiety I couldn't even get off the floor of the carpet of my office because I'm like what do I do now so what is advice moving forward because I know it's going to happen again it's only a matter of time I just feel like now with that experience I want to be better equipped for when it does happen hope you already have your cold emails drafted get those LinkedIn pages up get ready to find yourself a mentor after the break Chester gives us all some more mentory advice and then we talk about how to pick yourself back up from hitting those high highs to those low lows 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So I'm just grinning from ear to ear because I know exactly that feeling. <laughs> you know, and I, I would lay awake at night, my eyes would pop up and I'm like, what did I do? Because we didn't have the floor pulled out from underneath us. We chose to leave. Now, we thought we were going to leave in different circumstances, which is more detail than you need. And then there was that moment, like you say, you go, so our next paycheck, where's that coming from? Because I still got a mortgage and I still got four kids. You know, and so I did what I do. I reached out to all these amazing people that I knew. And one in particular, and I got to give him total props, Eric Lang. He is the he was the HR director at Nielsen, and then he worked at the 92nd Street Y. And over the years, we just, you know, I was his vendor, and then we became dear friends. And it was so interesting as I started to, we were, you know, I live in Jersey, that you can't swing a dead cat without hitting the diner, right? So you go to a diner, you want to you chat with a buddy, you say, hey, let's go to the diner. So we're sitting in the diner, and I am just full on anxiety ridden, kind of saying, and, you know, Eric, and then, you know, and then they should have done this and they didn't love us and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> this is what the advice I'm going to give you, Joe, as, as, as your mentor for the next 20 minutes. He said, whoa, Chester, stop. Stop, just stop. I said, what, what? He goes, you realize that regardless of all this stuff, you're Chester Elton, right? Like, you know that, right? And that's a tremendous brand. And you have an, an incredible ability and talent. So he said, and now we can't say this on your podcast. He says, I want this to be your mantra. When you start getting those things, you say to yourself, never forget, you are Chester F and Elton, man. <laughs> That's such good advice. Yeah. And so Joe, seriously, I mean, a million subscribers on YouTube, hosting a Netflix show for two seasons. Yeah, you haven't got anything now, but I don't want you to ever forget, Joe. You are Joe F and Franco. And don't you ever forget it. And you know, it's silly, like, I don't even want to have these titles or these things on, on a resume to feel like that, because I, I, I've i been me, right? You've been you before the bestsellers. So it's that confidence in yourself with or without the next thing. It's like, how do we stay on track in our individual missions and tune out the imposter syndrome and and move forward? Like, how did you actually get the energy? Was it looking in the mirror and being like, I'm Chester F. And Elton, and then just, just <laughs> getting to work because the work needs to get done if you're going to move anywhere. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm a real believer that you've got to get in motion. You know, because when you lay in bed and you all those worries, nothing gets solved laying in bed worrying. My, my dad had a great expression. He says, don't tell me not to worry. 99% of the stuff I worry about never happens. <laughs> and I'm convinced it's because I worried about it, you know, I mean, the cause and effect. So, you know, for me, it's get out of bed. And I'm a big fan of rituals. And so get out of bed. I read a great book by Jay Shetty called Think Like a Monk. Fabulous book. And he talks about mantras. You know, it's this Buddhism that, and by the way, you can, you can be, you know, a Mormon Buddhist, which I love. I think that's a great combination, right? A Mormon Buddhist. Amazing. Um, Catholic Buddhist, the Baha'i Buddhist, um, because it's all about your way of being, right? So he says, what's your mantra? Like when your feet hit the ground, what's your mantra? How do you start your day? is a great ritual. And so I, I gave it a lot of thought and the work we do and, and you know the mentors I've had and the family that you know just runs so deep. And I thought my mantra is gonna be when my feet hit the ground, I'm gonna say today, be kind, be grateful and be of service. So I think, you know, when you start to serve and this is again, back to my mission, I'm gonna get up and make somebody else's day better. You gotta get out of your head and get in motion and being kind. You know this, when you, you put, and I know it sounds so goofy and it's you know, like, oh, he's gonna tell me to buy crystals next, you know, but it's, it's you know, you, you put goodness out into the universe and, you, and goodness comes back. It absolutely does. So when you are kind to people and you are grateful for what you have, I, I was talking to a friend just this morning. She said, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. Wow. I've never heard that. That's a great, and it is because, like you say, uh, I may Beyonce, may be Beyonce, but you're Oprah, you know, you know, you're you're Joe Franco. Oh my gosh, you know, you compare, and that steals your joy. So be grateful for what you have, and then be of service. You know, give. Like we get paid a lot of money to do the things we do, and you know, we do a lot of things for free too. And it's a great combination, you know, that altruism that. I know you don't have the budget. I believe in your in your mission. I'll give you an hour of my time, no problem. This is so great because I used to have a mantra and it used to go like this. My name is Joanna Franco and I have goals and I will not leave this establishment until I accomplish those goals. Initially, it was because I really wanted to talk to a guy I had a crush on, but then it became just a good overall mantra for myself that helped me continue towards whatever goals I had in mind. That was when I was in my early 20s. Now I want something that's a little bit more well-rounded, like I am sultry, I am wholesome, I am smart, like something like that, you know? So not your average Joe takeaway number four, workshop some mantras and have them ready for yourself. I'll come back when I have mine. If you have any ideas of what mine should be, please leave a comment in our Instagram because we're posting bonus clips there and I wanna know your mantras. That, that, good, that goodness always comes back. And if it doesn't, what did you lose? Nothing, you know? So, you know, find your rituals. I've, I've got a list of 12 things I try to do every day. <laughs> That's a Let's lot. Let's hear it. That's great though. I mean, talk about habit tracking, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, and, and by the way, and I'm a big fan of forgiveness. So if I don't get all 12 done, I forgive myself and I move to the next day. But Love that. I, I, and, I, and I write them down, like you say, well, why don't you just print it out? And then, well, I, because I think writing it is important, right? So I say my prayers, I take my vitamins, I eat a good breakfast, I stretch, 
I write in my journal. I read my scriptures. I, I write in a gratitude journal. I post a photo of something I'm grateful for on LinkedIn every day. I, I have questions. Did I do my best to, and there's 23, did I do my best to get in motion? Did I do my best to be happy? Did I do my best to be grateful? Did I do my best to let Heidi know I love her? Did I do my best to make my grandchildren feel loved? You know, and I go through that. I meditate for 10 minutes. I, I know 10 minutes, if you're a big meditator, 10 minutes is like nothing, but for me, 10 minutes is a long, is a long time. Same for me. <laughs> yeah. Did I go for a walk? Did I just get out and go for a walk? And then the last one is, from my meditation, there's always a thought for the day. And I have about a dozen people that are really dear to me. And I share that thought with them in a text every day. And if I can get those 12 things done, regardless of whatever else happens in the day, I can say it was a good day. So beautiful. It and it's not measured on success. I'm a big believer that the minute you start living for success metrics, whether it's like the stock market or your numbers in my world, that is my career, right? It's like how many videos did I post this week? How many views did they get? What are my thoughts? And it's just, it's like a gross cycle of damage to your soul and spirit. And when I notice that I'm like, dang, I can't be living for these success metrics. It needs to be something greater. And you, I think everybody has those things that make them just feel full. And it has nothing to do with the success metrics that society is kind of shaped around. How do you get into the practice of just like separating? Because at the end of the day, we need to make money. We need careers. Yeah. How do you tune out the clutter of your own you know, entrepreneurial brain of, okay, how many clients do we have in comparison to last year? How are we doing? Do you tune it out or is it compartmentalized? Like, what does that look like in your world? You know, such a, such a great question, Joe, and, and so insightful um, because we do get caught up in, did I make more money than I did last year? You know, did I, to, to my point, it, 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 does my newsletter have as many subscribers as the other guy, right? You know, um, and I do that, you know, I'll go through and I'll say, oh, my post, well, how come that post got 100,000 views and this post got like 3,000 views? I need more 100,000. And I think what it is, is you've got to lean back and just say, it's enough. It's enough. I, I, I am enough. I have enough. I mean, I was just talking to my wife this morning. I said, you know, if, if when we were dating in college, if we said, hey, when we were approaching 40 years of marriage, that we would be where we are now, we would have said, are you kidding me? Like, are you serious? Now, we, we live in a, in a town in, in, in Summit, New Jersey, where as great as the lives are that we have, we are a rounding error for a lot of our neighbors. Like the only reason we live here is because we bought this house 30 years ago. Like we couldn't buy it now, <laughs> right? Um, and so it's that coming back to that comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah, you have to kind of sit back and say, you know what? 99% of the world would trade places with me in a heartbeat. They would. And not for all the reasons that we think are important because I don't have to worry about walking out of my door and getting shot. I don't have to worry, is my water clean? I don't have to worry, is my air clean? I don't have to worry, you know, um, 
do I have enough to eat? Will I have, do I have shelter? And so right from that metrics, you just kind of go, I'm incredibly blessed. Now, all that other stuff, that's the whipped cream and the cherry on top. And yeah, so maybe I don't have quite as my, much whipped cream and maybe my cherry isn't quite as big, but you know what, it's, it's pretty great. And, and, I'm, and, and I think the gratitude practice that we get involved in deeply in our work, the help for there is, and once I, I understand that, I can be happy for the fact that, that, that Joe Franco has more views than I do, that I will probably never host a Netflix series. And you know what, that's okay. And isn't that great for Joe? Like, I'm so delighted that you had that experience. And, and envy disappears and gratitude fills the gap. Right, it's like being and, happy for others and letting their wins be your wins. Yeah. Because it just feels better, it really does. There was a year, you know, I don't know if this happens to you. I, I get on these weird loops of saying the same things over and over. It becomes like a catchphrase. Like I'll just say it and catch myself saying it. And one year it was good for her, good for him. And then I'm like, wow, that's a really cool thing to do. It's like, if somebody's doing well, it's like, good for her. And I feel like that's a little tiny way to practice that gratitude or just appreciation props, you know, like the mentality of if you and I win, as a collective, we move forward together. And, and I agree. It's like when you move selflessly, you're, you kind of get out of your own head. Like, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about what your work can do to inspire others. It's like the hero's journey, right? Like instead of saying I, or like, what, what do I want? It's like, what can I do to help them? It's that shift that I feel like is just more sustainable. That's really good. Ch I mean, you're good at your job. <laughs> well, here's, here's a great catchphrase for you. And I use it all the time. And I got it from uh, another great mentor in my life, Scott O'Neill. Guy's just a phenomenal leader. He just, he just stepped down to take some time off with his family. He was the CEO of the Philadelphia 76ers and the New Jersey Devils. Like, you want to talk about like a cool job, right? I mean, his job is he's got to go to basketball games. <laughs> I mean, it's way more than that. But you know, from you and me, we're saying, so you have to go to the game? Bummer. Yeah, yeah, that's work, clocking in. Right. Yeah, you got to hang out with Joel Embiid. Oh, geez, you know, that's rough. Um, he has this great um, mantra, and it's, I'm cheering for you. And he says, you know, on your team, look around your team as a leader, who are the people that just, you, it, they're easy to cheer for? You, you know who they are. And he says, and then you got the people that are hard to cheer for. And you got to ask yourself why? Because if you can't cheer for them, why are they on your team? And so it's really interesting. Another one of my mantras, and I love signing off one of two ways. Uh, end of an email or a letter, it, it's with gratitude, Chester Elton. Like grateful for your time and, and the, for our relationship. Or, and I love doing this with folks I mentor, I said, never forget, I'm cheering for you. Because everybody, you know, we want to know somebody's cheering for us, right? And, and now we say, look, you know, you're in the playoffs. Do you want to play at home or away? Do you want to play at home? Why? Because the home team gets, has more people cheering for them. And that's powerful. So again, and it takes away the envy. Say, wow, you hosted a Netflix series? That is, I am so happy for you. Man, I'm cheering for you. Good for you. you. Know it's so funny because the way we got in contact was because a complete stranger on the internet watched my Netflix show and 
slid into my inbox and said essentially that I'm cheering for you. He was like, Joe, I loved your energy on the show. I would love to speak to you about speaking engagements. I, I would potentially like to represent you, right? Not measly. And I'm like, dang, this guy doesn't know me personally and took time out of his day, out of his busy schedule to say, I believe in you. He doesn't know if I've ever given a speech before, but something about me is making this guy not only reach out, but speak so highly of me and say things like, let's work together to craft your speech, you know, your speeches and your workshops, because I feel like with your life story and your energy, you could really make it work. And I'm like, what did I do to get so lucky that people believe in me? Like, how did I get this lucky? And then as tables turn, you know, I mentioned on Twitter, I was like, hey, looking for a really interesting podcast guest he reached out again and I'm like, man, this guy really wants me to win. And he connected me to you. And, and here we are talking about exactly that, like the trickle effect of just having people in your corner that see something in you and vocalize it and not only vocalize it, but like actionize it, right? Like he connected me to you. He is reaching out via email and it makes me want to do that to others. It's the butterfly effect. I love how in most of these conversations, some themes overlap, like gratitude, for instance, not your average Joe takeaway number five, gratitude is contagious. And it reminds you that there really is no competition, that this lifetime will continue with or without us meeting our unrealistic measures of success, the success metric goals. So instead, why not focus on what we already have? Being happy is just this like heart filling exercise. It's like a muscle that you have to grow. And the coolest part about being around other people that are happy for you is that it's this like symbiotic tornado of love where everyone's heart just explodes because they know if you win, they win. And that is how you live a positive life. And another takeaway here is if you're not cheering them on, then why are they on your team? It's not like we can love everyone, I get it, okay? That's too too much of like wishy-washy, wishful thinking. So if you have people in your circle that you genuinely don't like, why do you have them there? Delete archives, remove the files, make some new room. Yeah, yeah, I, and I love that butterfly flag. I, you know, uh, Curtis Martin, I, I mentioned him a little earlier, this Hall of Fame running back. He's part of our, our, our coaches group. And just over and above being a legendary, you know, football player just one of the best people you ever meet. I mean, you know, does work with uh, recovering addicts and so on. And just the goodness just oozes out of them. You know, it's, it's one of those guys when, when he talks, everybody gets real quiet because <laughs> you don't want to miss, you don't want to miss a word. Right. And he taught me about the ripple effect, which I really, and, and the butterfly effect, the ripple effect is kind of same, same, right. Again, that you put this goodness out there and it ripples and, and you want your ripples to be, positive you know and and it is interesting when you when you think about that and, and he would say you know before you send off that email or before you say or you're critical or you're you know those those moments where you well i've got a zinger for him you know pause and think what will the ripple effect be for good or ill and i think that that moment to pause is powerful Right. And then there's the, the great uh, Buddhist teaching where it says your words should go through three doors or three gates. And the first one is whatever you say, is it kind? Secondly, is it true? And thirdly, is it necessary? 
Wow. Yeah. Wow. And I really, I really love that because, you know, it can be kind and true and not necessary. <laughs> That's right? so important. I mean, there were moments in my career and I feel like this is something that, that will happen again, especially in the public eye where <clears throat> I've had the choice or I've been put in the position to have to make a decision of, do I say something publicly about this? And I had to, I didn't have these filters. It would have been much more helpful if I did, because it would have been a checklist. But no, for, you know, at that stage in my life, I was just rolling around in bed, like, what do I do? Do I say something? Do I not? And ultimately, I didn't say anything, because I thought it was unnecessary. And I'm like, I know my truth. I know who I am. Let's keep it moving, because it won't spread any good in the world. Like, at the pit yeah. of my stomach, I knew that it wouldn't spread any good. And if it's not spreading good, what am I doing? Like, what am I using the platform for? See, now this is what mentors are for. Not your average Joe. Takeaway number six, when in a tough position, when something triggers you, boils your blood, and you have to respond, ask yourself the following three questions. Is it kind? Is it true? Is it necessary? Sometimes the best responses are no responses at all, because if you're not spreading that goodness into the world, why are you doing it? Yeah, so insightful. And by the way, having said all this, I mean, I have not taken my own advice <laughs> many, many, many times. What? Tell me more. Uh, yeah, you know, you caught up in those moments of emotion and it just comes out and then you go, oh, you knucklehead, like you, like you know better. You know, and 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 that's where the forgiveness part comes in. I was uh, talking to a friend, and, and he said, you know, uh, his name's Quint Studer. He's just a phenomenal guy. And uh, he said, um, you know, I work with a. He's in healthcare. He works with a lot of hospitals and hospital systems and stuff. And he says, you know, I look at all these, you know, mission, vision, and values. He says, you know, a value that's never there, and I would love to see, I would love to see a company say, one of our core values is forgiveness. Because, you know, we all do stupid things. We've all said unkind things. We've all said the unnecessary thing, right? And he said, you know, um, forgiveness is, is a big part. Now, he's a recovering alcoholic. He's very open about it. And that's a big thing in AA is asking for forgiveness. It's one of the 12 steps, right? And and I love I love that. And I thought, yeah, you know, um, we, we've got a, a consulting training company called the, the Culture Works. And I thought we need to do a redo of our values. And I want one of our values to be forgiveness. Which we're gonna make it's a ripple effect again, right? Yeah. Like you surround yourself with good people, they give you some insight, whether they know that they're doing it or not, and then you turn that into an action item that's then going to train top executives to treat people with, you know, a different set of kind of guidelines or just think twice before not forgiving. So it's right. like the ripple effect. There's so many nuggets of wisdom in this conversation. The other thing that I want to zoom out and ask you about is what do you think are some tips to help people build better relationships? Because from this conversation, it's clear that you are a master of relationship building, and I can see some things that you do. And I, I mean, I know you you know that you're doing it because I've watched some of your speeches about leading with carrots, right? It's like you offer validation immediately, right? It's this gratitude. You're doing it to me. You do it to others. So I guess we could put that on the techniques and the list of things to think for when you're building relationships. But how can somebody build better, more genuine relationships that last 
20, 30, 40 years? Yeah, well, that's a huge question, uh, Joe. <laughs> and I'm like, give it to me in five minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, in four minutes, I've got to go report my record my podcast. So Amazing. if you want to continue this conversation later, we can, you know, reconvene. But I, I, I'm just a big uh, fan of uh, giving without expectation. I think that's a, a really uh, a foundation for building great relationships is that I am going to do something for you without the expectation that now you owe me. You know, I think really toxic relationships are transactional relationships. I did this for you. What are you going to do for me? That's not a relationship, right? And, and to me, it's very toxic. So if you want to build great relationships, uh, give without expectation. Uh, Marshall's got this great thing. He says, hey, I want to invite you to do this thing. Now, no obligation, no guilt. I love it. No obligation, no guilt. I'm going to ask you, if you can do it, great. If you can't, that's okay too, right? And this idea that, uh, now, and, and Marshall's so funny because he called me yesterday. He says, uh, Chester. And he always says, is this the Chester Elton? You know, he's always great. Is this Hyping the- you up. A no, hype yeah, man. He's great about that, right? He says, um, I'm wondering if I could ask you for a favor. And I always say, of course you can. And you know that no matter what you ask, I'm going to say yes. And he goes, I know. I know. And he, we go on. Uh, I'm going to tell you a cute story about my dad. And then we really do need to wrap up. But <laughs> I learned this from my dad. So after church, this kid comes up to us and he says, hey, brother Elton, um, I need a favor. He says, sure, what is it? He says, I need a ride home. You know, my, my family kind of left the night. And he goes, absolutely, no, no problem. Well, then the kid comes back a few minutes later. He says, oh, excuse me, brother Elton, I didn't realize you live in West Vancouver. I live in North Vancouver. That's way out of your way. Let me go find somebody else to get a ride. And he said, young man, you asked me for a favor. The fact that it's out of my way makes it a favor. I said, yes, get in the car. <laughs> get in the car. Wow. So, I mean, the conclusion here is give, don't expect anything in return. It'll create a ripple effect that will eventually just fill your life and heart with more gratitude and good people. Now, the last little bit of mentorship I want to share with you is you and I, we are blessed. We have great lives and Absolutely. we have a lot to give. Mm -hmm. And when people ask us for favors, we are happy to do it for them because we have plenty. I'm willing to bet that you have a hard time asking for help. Am I right? I never, I just, I'm like, I'm self-sufficient. I can handle it. That's been from childhood though, right? It's like, it's, I've always been very self-sufficient, never wanted anybody to feel like I was a burden. So yeah, you're right. Which is why when people do help me, I'm shocked over the moon and saying thank you every five seconds. Yeah. So here's what you got to remember. When someone asks you for help and you help them, how do you feel? Of course. So why would you rob someone else of that opportunity to give and serve you and feel great about themselves? Wow. Way to flip the table. Yeah. And, it, and you know what? That makes it a lot easier to ask for help. I'll never forget. I was having one of the world's worst days. And I sent out an email to 10 of my friends. I said, I am having a terrible day. Send me a message and tell me I'm great. <laughs> I love it. Like, I need you right now. Please help. 
And my buddy, he goes, great. You are the pantheon of great. You are the ultimate. Of, you are the Spartacus of great. You know, and I printed that. And I put in my book. Um, because we have so much, we're afraid to ask for help. And yet we rob people of the opportunity to feel great about being able to serve you. Now, the Toronto Globe and Mail dubbed Adrian and I the apostles of appreciation. So Joe Franco, as the apostle of appreciation, that is my sermon. And I am sticking to it. Can I get an amen? Amen. I loved it. Chester, thank you, my virtual mentor. I am so excited that we had this call. This will be hopefully the first of many. Yeah. And listen, you know, follow me on LinkedIn, sign up for our gratitude journal, buy our books, leading with gratitude and anxiety at work and, and listen to our anxiety at work podcast. It really is helping. It's great. I love your podcast. I'll link everything in the description box and thank you. Absolutely. Take care, Joe. Thanks, Chester. Bye. That is it, my beautiful friends on the internet, wherever you are in the world. This is just a reminder, you're doing the right thing, keep going. If you're not doing the right thing, there's always time to course correct. And I hope that you got some nuggets of wisdom, some not your average takeaways from today's episode. For more on Chester, click in the show notes. For more on me, at Joe underscore Franco is my handle on Instagram. I took a little hiatus, man, it felt good. I was offline for like two whole weeks and I'm just now getting back into it. My YouTube channel, Joe Franco, will have new updated videos this month. Let's see what else we're doing. Joe Club is obviously still going strong. Love that company, love those people. Uh, We're hosting an event this Sunday on Habits which I think will be very useful for whatever you're into because we did the 21 day language challenge. And I think that was such a good habit forming exercise that I wanna dive more into habits in general, whether you're learning a language or not, it's all the same muscle. So uh, click in the show notes and follow all of the different channels that I'm working on. I will be back next Wednesday with a really cool episode featuring one of my dear friends. We're gonna talk about Hollywood, how it's changing the struggles of following the traditional Hollywood path and how social media is revitalizing the entire concept of fame. This podcast was produced and edited by me. The theme song was created and performed by my lovely sister, Fernanda Franco. And that's it. Thanks again for tuning in. Have an above average week and I'll see you soon. Hey, yo, come listen to my girl, man. What you doing? Shit. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.